Next. Hello. Next. Here. Hello. What, where's that voice coming from? Who's next? Here. Who's where? Come on. Where? Can't you see Come me? In the I'm room. right in front of you. Here. I'm here. Come on. Look at me. Down what here. The, I'm Ernie Chan. It's me, Ernie Chan. Little Ernie Chan. You're not even as big as the desk. Oh, I thought this was a bookcase. I, uh, you're here for an interview? Yeah. What? All right. What? What can you do? Uh, all kinds of stuff. I can uh, find things under the couch. I can uh, uh, hold open the door for you. Um, take out your pets. I can ride your pets. <laughs> can Can you synopsize a book? I could draw a book. I. I, I don't come on! Know. Come on! Hire me. I'm here. Come on. Come on. I'm not sure what, what you can I'm do. I'm eager to work. I have not been at work for a long time. You, want, Since, you understand uh, that I work with Bill Robinson, right? Who? Dr. Bill. Dr. Bill. Oh, uh, I love Dr. Bill. His stuff is funny. Who else you work with? Who's the other guy? Scott. Scott who? Scott Gardner. Oh, Scott Gardner? Yes. Mm, mm. No, no. Me no like. Ah, no. Him, uh, teabag Batman. No, no. Me no work. No. I'm out. See ya. And a chain gone. Back to the bin. Maybe we should have a Back to the Bins Olympics. This would be our opening uh, monologue. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins Olympic coverage. Today we're going to discuss what are Olympics. No, no, uh, no, no. What what no. what would the Back to the Bin Olympics be? Like like box sorting. You get a random box of comics. You have to put bag, them in alphabetical. Bagging boarding, removing old books without ripping the covers. You know, with 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 like really cheap crappy tape on it. Like rebagging and boarding. You know, there was that that horrible accident there right at the beginning of these Olympic Games where the the dude did the, you know, the triple Lindy backflip or whatever the hell it was and landed and and busted his leg all up and everything. I don't know if you guys saw this or not. I missed that. Everybody at work was talking about it and I couldn't help but see it 5,000 times. But, you know, the very first time I saw it, the, the first thought that went through my head is this doesn't happen at comic book conventions. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm sure if somebody's, you know, bringing a box. Of well, books I mean, you have the occasional sign, guy that you know, will, you know, slide down a hill at the at the at the gas station, you know, when they go for a snack. But I mean, but purposefully, this does not happen at comic book conventions. What are you talking about, Scott? I don't know. It's just me. <laughs> who who slides down saying. hills? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, are, are you trying saying. to say the um, hill couldn't hold me? That I was too heavy for the earth underneath <laughs> I, me. I didn't. I didn't say that. I felt. The I don't know if we're actually feet. in the show yet, but we're getting some bad chop. I don't know if you guys are hearing it. Are you ha, guys hearing? It's on a chan chop. Bitch. <laughs> Doesn't seem chop. to be too bad on this end. It just okay. cleared up. All right. Yeah, it did just clear up. That's because I did my magic on a chan chop. Chop 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 chop. Or are you surfing the porn? Me? You turned it off. I do special porn or a chan chop. Oh wait, that's just yeah, please no. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Bootsy Bag Batman, I do the chop. 
let's let's avoid the Ernie Chan porn chop. <laughs> let's get on with the show. Come on, I'm the new intern. <laughs> no. Remember, we you, gotta you come on. We gotta move this Scott. show along. Oh wait, this is Godna. Oh, I'm out. Chan gone. Hey, the, Paul, why did you send this guy to my house? He keeps taking over my microphone. Come on, give me the mic. Give me the mic. No, get out. Get, go away, little Ernie Chan. I told you. No, have, I him the the, on, have him walk on. Have him walk on your back. Ernie Chan, I'm gonna hold the mic up here where you can't get it. Hey, come on. Let me have the mic. I'm there. Come on. All right. Chan out. Get in the box. Shut up. So, back to the bins, eh? <laughs> right. Can we get a proper intro to the show? Well, we already had it. It was the Olympics intro. That's it. Oh, we're, we're, we're up and running now. Oh, Lord. Now we're cooking with gas. Scott, you okay. got our Marvel. <laughs> just, let's just go. Just go. Oh, let's, my first? Let's pretend none of that ever happened. Okay. I don't have the oldest book. Am I, well, I by date, it would be Paul. I'll go first. That's fine. I'm I'm prepared. You prepared a synopsis? I did. Oh, wow. Actually, I have a I did, synopsis. I, I, I have I, notes. I, I have trivia. I have all kinds of great stuff for this one. I came prepared. Like six pages. I know. He's got like a one-page story. <laughs> and we've already covered this story technically once already. Did we? We discussed it. We didn't cover it. We discussed it. it. I'm we just discussed kidding. it. Right. <clears throat> All right. Well, I'll go first if you want me to. I don't have the oldest book, but I'll go first. But it's, we've never gone age first. It was always Marvel, DC, indie. Oh, okay. Yeah, we have gone age first. That must be just on the score episodes we go age Maybe first. Because those are all the same company. Right. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, if you already saw the picture for this week's episode, then you're probably expecting me to talk about Spider-Man. Marvel Tales number 100 is the book that I brought. It is cover dated February 1979. was on the spinner rack starting November 14th, 1978 for a whopping price of 60 cents, which was at the time nearly twice the cost of an ordinary non-milestone issue, which uh, was still only, right there on the cover it said it, still only 35 cents. Uh, at least for the next two issues anyway, when it would jump to 40 pennies with issue 103. Marvel Tales number 100 reprints two Spidey stories. Uh, the first one was called Just a Man Called Cage from Amazing Spider-Man number 123 and The Secrets of Spider-Man from Amazing Spider-Man annual number one. But the story we're here to talk about tonight is entitled Killers of a Purple Rage, which is a take on Zane Gray's Riders of the Purple Sage, which was a book that I dodged having to read in high school by electing to read Walter Lord's A Night to Remember instead. Uh, see my Titanic Remembered episode of Two True Freaks for more information about that. Now, I know what you're probably thinking, and you're right. Marvel Tales was a reprint mag. But in a very few rare instances, it did occasionally feature original material, and this is one of them. So the story in this one is written by Scott Edelman with pencils by Mike Nasser and inks by Terry Austin. The year is 1977, and in this sandy desolation which possesses hardly enough breeze to tumble a tumbleweed, two mounts leave shallow tracks across the parched desert. Upon the two mounts, we find Hawkeye the Archer, occasional Avenger, and his latest partner and friend, Matt Hawk, the famous Western gunslinger, the Two-Gun Kid. Hawkeye remarks how peaceful the area is that they're riding through and how one could be fooled into believing that they were still in 1873, the year Two-Gun came to the present from, 
after the Avengers' time war with Kang in Avengers number 147. Two-Gun says he has no complaints and that he came to the present of his own choice. The men start to discuss their horses when suddenly the ground beneath them gives way and collapses, dumping them what looks to be a good 35 feet at least onto the hard flooring of Kilgrave, the Purple Man's latest secret lair. Kilgrave, who just a moment ago was monologuing to himself about his next plan to avenge himself on Daredevil, is nonplussed by their unexpected drop-in and orders the, t the two men, the two friends, to kill each other. Kilgrave, as you may recall, has the ability to make anyone obey his spoken command, and if you didn't know that, then chances are you haven't watched Jessica Jones on Netflix, and for that, you should be utterly and completely ashamed of yourself. I'll expect your geek card in the mail presently. Anyway, we are then treated to some gorgeously depicted action scenes of Two-Gun versus Hawkeye, first with firearms versus bow and arrow, and then the two men just battering each other hand to hand. It looks like nothing can save them when suddenly Two-Gun puts his fingers to his teeth and tweets a sharp whistle to his trusty steed who, come on, let's face it, really ought to be dead after that fall through the ceiling. But the horse wrenches herself to her hooves and charges the purple man, whose powers cannot affect animals, and spack, that's the sound effect, he is knocked aside. Hawkeye and Two-Gun grab up their weapons, mount their steeds, and flee as Hawkeye's blast arrow brings the house down. Two-Gun is concerned afterward that, uh, may that maybe they didn't really defeat Kilgrave, but that the purple man's power only made them think that they had? But Hawkeye tells him not to worry. We're alive, he said, riding into the sunset. Can't you tell a happy ending when you see one? Insert potentially filthy joke here. And the end. I really like this story. Um, I'm not sure how I discovered this one. I, I think I just kind of chanced across it one day because um, I do have this actual this issue uh, in my collection. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a short, simple, and gorgeous little six-pager. Um, but, I mean, the, the pages that you do get are just, they're awesome. I, I'm, I've long been a fan of, uh, of Mike uh, Nasser. Now, Mike Nasser today goes by Mike Netzer, um, and he's just, you know, he's a personal favorite of mine. Um, have, you know, he's the, the illustrator on one of my very favorite uh, Batman stories of all time, which is one called uh, The Dead on Arrival Conspiracy from uh, DC Special Series number one. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think just Ron brought that story to the show once in an episode that unfortunately I wasn't a part of. Um, but anyway, his, his body of comics work is relatively small. Um, and, you know, he's just, he's yet another classic example of an artist who's, work in the 70s and 80s is clearly their finest work because he just kind of abandoned comics um, at one point and was gone for a long, long time. And then he came back um, having changed his name to uh, Netzer. And I still like his stuff, but it's very different from what he was doing back during this time. Um, but I still consider him one of the great um, underappreciated and dare I even say forgotten comic book artists, especially from this particular era. Um, Netzer himself is a very interesting personality, and I was very tempted to kind of read his Wikipedia, but it, it's a little bit lengthy. But I'll just strongly encourage anyone even mildly curious about this guy, look him up, check out his Wikipedia entry. It makes for some really interesting reading, like why he left comics and 
how he's had this kind of off on again, off again relationship with comics. And uh, he was just recently embroiled in a, in a big controversy that I didn't even know anything about until I read the Wikipedia thing. So anyway, go check that out. Uh, the other creator on this, uh, Scott Edelman, is uh, another name that only kind of mildly rang a bell. I think we covered another book for, by him not long ago, although I couldn't remember it by looking at his list of credits. Uh, Mike's Amazing World shows only 44 story credits for him in a wide variety of titles like uh, House of Mystery and Unexpected for DC and Captain Marvel for Marvel Comics. But um, he mostly just did like one or two issues here and there and everywhere for the big two before leaving comics altogether in 1978. So really not much work from him either. Um, I thought it was interesting to note that the story is clearly set in 1977. It's the very first thing that the story says. It gives you the year. Yet the publishing date on this, uh, you know, the date on the stands, according to Mike's Amazing World, was November of 78. So I guess, you know, can you say inventory drawer story, you know? So I guess this one had been sitting around for a while and they just needed to fill six pages somewhere. So as far as this, uh, I'm sorry. I was just looking like it takes place after he came to current time in Avengers 147. But then they mentioned it takes place before Avengers 161. Right. So the fact with that huge gap there, I think inventory story is probably the best explanation possible for it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, so, so far as I could tell, it had never been reprinted either. So it's just one of those weird little anomalies, you know, it just it's published in a strange place, you know, Marvel tales of all places. Um, you know, a tale that doesn't have anything to do with Hawkeye or two gun or the Avengers or anything. So it's just an odd little place and I can't help but wonder how many people have ever even seen this story or know that it exists. But uh, I, I think, you know, it, it's it's not a story that's particularly important or relevant or, or anything like that. But if you're just a, a lover of fine comics art, I mean, you don't get much better than this. I, I think it's just gorgeous. Well, I, I think we discussed this when we were going one of the Korvac episodes we had you on for. Because I think we were talking about Two Gun Kid and yeah. Hawkeye, and that's when this I'm, I'm thinking that's when this came up. Because I remember we looked at, we didn't look at the whole. I don't think we looked at the whole story. I think we only looked at the. Uh, I think I found a website opening... that had posted the the six pages. I think is what happened. Oh, yeah, I, maybe it was. Yeah, yeah. but so I, think... I, but I remember the opening page with the horses falling in looked really really good. Yeah, and and it and it, and it still does obviously here. Yeah. Now, I don't know a hell of a lot about horses. Horses don't like me, and I don't much like them. So they I sleep could standing be... up like my wife. <laughs> so I, mean, I... I could be dead wrong, but am, am I right in believing that that fall should kill both those horses? No or at least leave them in a condition where they could not get up and charge at the Purple Man? I'm, I'm not a big horse guy, but if a horse stumbles when it's running, it usually breaks its leg. Right. <laughs> and yeah. then they end up having to put a lot of them down. Well, two guns, right. a horse landed on his head. Right. Womp. Yeah, okay, I'm sure that helped. Yeah. And then Hawkeye. They, they are, you know, realistically, for such a big, sturdy animal overall, I think their leg bones are particularly susceptible to fractures. Right. And, Good thing and, I fell on my head. And, and when they do fracture, it's it's devastating. You know, it's it's not an injury they recover from well. Right. So, yeah, I don't think they're going to... I don't think they're falling... What is that, 30 feet? <laughs> I don't think that's yeah. happening. 
I don't know. Yeah, you see horses dive off of platforms into you know things of water. Uh huh. In the movies. <laughs> yeah, there's no water here. That's that's like a that's like a concrete floor there. Oh, it's ice. Yeah, it's not Crap. like it landed gracefully. <laughs> right. So yeah, I I thought that too. That, that there's no way that horse is getting up again. One thing I, I never noticed the first time we we discussed this story, what is with the purple man's outfit? Did did, well, did he, he was, rob? They, they did he try to make him look more like a supervillain? They were, did he rob Magneto's closet or something? It actually that panel that's on the same page where the horses are falling through the still uh, the ceiling, page thirty. Um, that shot of him where his cape is kind of kind of waving over two guns hat Hat. where he says goodbye gentlemen right there he reminds me of that what's what was the name of that villain in alpha flight like what was his name like master of the world or something like that master yeah was that his name master of the world yeah it was either master of the world or the master that reminds me of him just like blue and was what he looks like yeah that's true yeah and without the headpiece yeah which actually he looked more like uh, the character that Byrne would create in the FF later. I, I think the Master of the World and Terminus had the same style outfit. If I remember yeah, correctly. yeah, I think you're right. What did you guys think of this? I think it was a fun little story. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's. I think by its by definition, it has to be inconsequential. And I think they give you that clue right at the end with the oh, you know, how do we even know he didn't do what it turns out? I guess he did do. You know, make us think we defeated him when we didn't. Right. Uh, Because (laughs) in the continuity, this took place before Daredevil 147, when Kilgrave is manipulating, uh, what's her name, Heather Glenn, his girlfriend at that time. Mm -hmm. He was manipulating her father into committing, I guess, embezzling from his company or something, Mm -hmm. which ultimately ended up with him committing suicide. And that was all the purple man's doing. And that took place continuity-wise shortly after this, although I think this printing is probably significantly after that story came out. But they had to find a way to shoehorn it in, plus the fact that, like you said, it was probably written a year earlier. Right. So, But overall, I mean, it was just a fun little story that, that was enjoyable to read. It, it's, it's interesting to see Kilgrave at that time as compared to, like, the way he's presented now. You know, now he's just such a, you know dirty <laughs> you know he, he right, makes you feel yeah. dirty you know just for yeah. the things he does here he was ruthless with the kill yourself but it wasn't as bad i think he was used to great villainous effect in the jessica jones tv series. oh yeah absolutely yeah well i mean yeah i mean they need to villain them up because you know you 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 can only do the stop hit, hitting yourself gag so many times stop hitting yourself stop hitting yourself, <laughs> stop hitting yourself. Well, like, just, I mean, my, my criticisms of this, if at all, are nitpicks, like the horse thing. Or even uh, at, at the first page when uh, Two Gun Kid says, you know, I'm here in the present by choice. As soon as I read that, I thought, no, if I'm Two Gun Kid, I'm saying I'm here in the future by choice. Right. Because this isn't his present. Mm. Yeah, good point. You know, point. I mean, it's, it's a very nitpicky thing, but it just didn't sound right in my head when I read it. Right. No, I, I, I thought that, too, reading that for the first time. I thought, what a strange thing to say, because to him it would be the future, unless he's acclimated that that quickly or he doesn't, you know, since he's being respectful to Hawkeye, since to Hawkeye this is the present, it's always been the present, he's, he's being, 
you know, it's almost like when you go and visit a foreign country, you know, you, you, you try to, you know, to acclimate or whatever. Um, I, I mean, that's that's a cheesy attempt at a no prize, but that's the only thing I could think of because that definitely jumped out to me, too, the first time I read the story. I thought that was kind of a strange thing for him to say. Well, maybe he was doing the buckaroo bonsai method. Wherever you go. There you, there are. you are. Yeah. Yep. But I, I think they also kind of downgrade Kilgrave's powers a little bit at this point. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. they he... resist him a little easier than they should be able to. Yeah. He's just kind of the mustache twirling, you know, he, he's almost he's almost somewhat like Dracula-like or something in, in this story. But I don't know. It was I remember watching uh, Jessica Jones with my wife and just thinking, I, I know she would never appreciate it because before that series, I mean, she had no clue, you know, who Kil- Kilgrave was or you know, no con, you know, concept or context for the character. But I'm just thinking, you know, as I'm watching that series, and especially when I got to the very end of the series, I'm thinking I now live in a world where, you know, regular people are aware of this character, and and I now live in a world where the Purple Man, the friggin' Purple Man of all characters, is a is a credible, cool, and damn scary threat on screen. I mean, if we are not living in awesome geek times, I, I don't know what. You know, that that's just neat to me. The the purple man, you know? I just think that's cool. Yeah, I totally But agree. in this particular story, not not so much. <laughs> you know, other than just ordering them to kill each other and they've got to obey his commands. But he's not very smart about it. Because um Two Gun says out loud, where is it here? He says something to the effect of uh Oh, yeah, here he goes. He goes, it doesn't matter what the purple man forces you to throw at me. He's talking to Hawkeye. He says, as long as he doesn't order me not to duck. He says this out loud. So why doesn't Kilgrave just say, okay, I order you not to duck and just stand there and get <laughs> shot with the next arrows that Hawkeye shoots? But he doesn't. He, or, he or... basically continues to just let them do what they want to do so long as they're obeying his first command to kill each other. Why don't you make your, your first command, don't move. Right. Stop. <laughs> And then you have time to think about what your second command is going to be. Right. Yeah, he's he's not he's not terribly uh, smart. Plus, it wasn't really until I had to synopsize the story that I had to stop and realize, wait a minute, they just leave him. They escape from him. They get out from his influence, but then they just leave. They don't, you know, they don't apprehend him. They don't presumably don't kill him they don't check to see if he was killed by the collapse they just get out from under his influence blow up the the thing and leave and that and that's it and that, well i guess so theoretically they're they leaving this killed. threat out I, that's what i'm thinking but they don't ever come right out and, and say gee i hope you know that's the end of him they don't really say one way or the other well it also fits you into know. the little did it or didn't it happen thing at the end right that you know he didn't he wasn't killed in the thing he just told them look you believe I was killed in the thing then leave right because mm-hmm. I, I don't have any more time to waste fighting you two idiots <laughs> you know I mean that's that's certainly a plausible realistic ending to this take right. your horses and go or but but you know wouldn't it make more sense if you it, it's it's just he's not a very smart purple man you know because no, wouldn't it make no, more not. sense to say you don't remember ever seeing me get out of here. <laughs> You know, instead of I was you never think here. you killed me, why even have them remember that that they saw him at all? I still have a, a soft spot for the character, though, because strangely enough, he was actually one of the the first 
Marvel villains I can remember when I first started to get into Marvel books as a kid. He was he was the big bad in one of the I think it was a Marvel team up annual with Spider-Man and a bunch of other characters. I want to say like maybe Power Man and Iron Fist uh-huh. and some other ones were in there. And yeah, then I, I think I, he I actually you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. I think that was one of the first things I can remember when I started getting into Marvel. And uh, I remember him being the villain in that and just thinking that he was both ridiculous and cool at the same time. Well, I think we, we might have discussed this on, on past shows. You remember in the graphic novel Emperor Doom, Doom uses him, like puts him in like a crystal uh, or like a chamber and uses his power to basically enslave the world. Hmm. And and Simon Williams had been undergoing like a sensory deprivation thing for a month. And when he comes out, everybody has been... The whole world is basically enthralled to Doctor Doom via the power of the Purple Man. And Simon Williams, I think there was like a couple other, I don't know if it was people that were like ionic-based life forms didn't seem to be as affected by it. And he basically goes in at the end and he like smashes the crystal that um, the Purple Man was in. And But actually Doom kind of let it happen because he realized as there's times when you know doom wins he feels well he has no more challenge so he let like like the thing is doom let wonder man defeat him so that he could have a new uh, there was no more worlds to conquer for dr doom so basically right. he, he needed the struggle to define himself so that's uh, i think yeah it's i think it's avengers or i don't even know if it says avengers but it's emperor doom is that one of the the graphic novels you let me Oh, maybe it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I never read it. <laughs> I've still never read it. Did I get it back? For, I think I got it back from you. Yeah, I, I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. You, but yeah, yeah. I, I never did read it. I, I wish I had. Professor that might Alan be a book to, right now. That might be a book to bring to the show sometime because mm, yeah. I've heard really good things about it. That one and the one with uh, with Doom and uh, Strange, where they team up to go to hell to rescue Doom's mother. Yeah, I've never read that either, and I heard that was really it's, good too. That's that's torment, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Possibly. I think yeah. I got that in a hard, hardbound graphic novel. Just yeah. by the way, the Marvel Team Up Annual you're thinking of is number eight from 1981. And it was Spider Man, Moon Knight, Iron Fist, Power Man, and Daredevil. Yep. I forgot Daredevil was in it. Yeah, that was a good one. Who worked on that? Uh, give me a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess was Jim Frank Miller Mooney. wrote it. Uh-huh. The art is by Herb Trimpey and Mike Esposito, two of your oh, favorites. Wow. Yeah, not at all. Wow. Well, yeah, I have fond memories of it, though. I haven't looked at it in probably 30 years, so I need to go back and look at it again. I'm, I don't know if I'd feel the same, but yeah, I, I, do, I do remember that. That was one of my very early, maybe possibly my first uh, exposure to Moon Knight, too, I do believe. Maybe even to Power Man and Iron Fist. I, I don't know. It, just, it was one, just one of those books that dropped in my lap, you know? Did, 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 did you see a therapist later? <laughs> A couple of fun, fun facts for this one, just because it was only a six-pager, so I had a little bit of extra time to work on this one. So a couple of fun facts that I discovered while doing the homework on this one. Did you know that there was another Marvel Tales series before this series? No, tell us. So you're all familiar with Marvel Comics number one, of course, the, the famous you know Golden Age book of the Human Torch burning through a wall and like coming at a guy that's shooting at him. Well, that series 
uh, changed to issue 93 to become Marvel Tales and then ran until issue 159 in 1957. So Marvel Comics, the classic Marvel Comics title, actually became Marvel Tales at one point. And then this incarnation of Marvel Tales actually ran to issue 291, uh, a lot longer than I even really? realized. Wow. Yeah, it ran a long time. But strangely, this series actually starts with number three, with issue number three. And that wasn't a rename for another title. The first two issues of this series were annuals. So it's Marvel mm. Tales annual number one, annual number two, and then it goes number three through 291. Was it always, was it always weird? Was it always reprints and maybe like one onesie twosie off stories or something? For the most part, yeah. Almost the entire series is uh, is reprints. Most of it Spider Man, although it didn't start out that way. It started out very similar to um, Marvel. What was it called? Collector's Edition um, that became uh, Marvel's greatest. What was that called? Marvel's Marvel's greatest collector's items. Classics. You're thinking of? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I've only ever owned yeah. one issue of Marvel Tales, and it was one that it was obviously reprint, and it had the Prowler in it. Uh, I want to say like 67 or 167. The Prowler's on the cover, and I think it had the death of uh, right. of Captain Stacy in it, or just after the death of Captain Stacy. It was Stacey. right in that era, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're yeah. talking about, yeah. Because it was all about the Prowler, and, and he was like trying to go straight, uh, he, he 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 was a criminal, but he was trying you know he was trying to reform himself. That's that's all I really remember about it because I haven't I haven't read the actual Spider-Man story I came from either. Oh, we got a photo. Look at look at Kingpin's little legs. I hey, I can why. see the photos again. All right. I just got a kick out of his little legs. He the tiny legs. He's, he's got this huge body, and his legs are like maybe like a foot and a half long. No wonder he's so angry. He's like a he's like a giant weeble wobble. I'm thinking all these excess excess weight kind of compressed his legs. That's just uh, for anybody listening. I, I pulled a panel off of uh, the Marvel team up annual that we were discussing. <laughs> now I made an interesting discovery today as I was digging around. I was looking for more information on Marvel Tales, and I don't remember what episode it was. But at some point, very recently, I was discussing old reprints. And I was talking about this site that I used to use all the time and that I learned through this site that a lot of the Marvel reprint books of the 70s and 80s actually went through a a period where they were edited, sometimes heavily edited, to where entire pages, sometimes a couple of pages were actually excised out of the book to make way for more advertising space. So you weren't getting complete reprints after all, even though they were kind of sold to you that way, like you were getting the reprints. And uh, I could not, for the life of me, remember the name or the website or anything like that. I just happened to chance across it today. Uh, it looks like the original website, the one that I had been using, had uh, had gone away at one point, and then this one is kind of the... Uh, the rebirth of that website. But it's just a very simple website. I don't think there's any pictures or anything on it. It's all text, but it's just called um, Arthur's Marvel Comics Reprints is is the name of it. So, I mean, if you just Google search that, you'll find it. Um, The actual address here is uh, www.freewebs.com slash Marvel Reprints, all one word, slash reprints. 
and it's just it's a really good resource to learn about uh, what Marvel reprint titles there are and what they reprinted. And in some cases, it even goes really in depth to tell you like page by page, panel per panel in some instances, what changes were made between the original products and the reprint, uh, whether they changed uh, wording, you know, dialogue, anything like that, whether they did anything with the art. And then again, if they excised anything out of the reprint from the original book, whether it's a panel or a page, they even tell you what it is. So it's, it's very in-depth. And uh, I found it a, just a really cool resource because I used to have a huge run of Marvel Tales. And then when I found this site and realized that all these years, a lot of those classic Spider-Man stories that I had that I was content to have in Marvel Tales as reprints were not complete. I divested myself of many of them and went and chased down the original issues so that I would have the complete stories. So mm. I don't have near as many anymore. Uh, 100, the issue we just covered, is one of the few I kept just because it does have that original story in it that you can't get anywhere else. So it's kind of my... There's my personal history with Marvel Tales in a nutshell. <laughs> but that's yeah, all me, I got to me, Marvel one. Tales was my way of catching up on spider history when i first started collecting right that was really the the tool for me because there was really no other resource either you got the old books or you got the reprints of the old books there was no other you know there were right. no graphic novels no trade paperbacks no uh you know collectors collections out there for you to get right so you know that was that was my resource and it came in very handy with catching up you know for a lot of the issues i couldn't afford to buy right I was the same way because when I started to get into Spider-Man, um, you know, regu on a regular basis, you know, buying it off the rack and everything. So you had um, Amazing and Spectacular. And at that time, I kind of favored Spectacular a little bit more than I favored Amazing. And the, the titles that I would buy on a pretty much regular basis was Spectacular. And then I believe... Uh, in, in my memory, anyway, it was right at the same time. It, it was probably within a year or so difference um, is when Marvel Tales was reprinting the story where uh, all I can remember is on the cover. And I believe the cover was not a reprint like they usually did. I think it was actually either a recreation or a brand new cover. But anyway, it was the story where Spider-Man and Doc Ock are fighting in a helicopter and the ghost of. Hammerhead. Um, Hammerhead was actually haunting Doc Ock. Actually, it wasn't really his ghost. He was like interdimensionally trapped or something. But it was that whole storyline. And I was just fascinated. And I don't think I, re I realized the title was a reprint, but I didn't realize just how far back in time it was really going. But I was fascinated with it from that aspect of right out of the gate. I, I loved this idea that you know, here were characters in a universe that had been operating for a, a significant amount of time before I discovered it. And, you know, what a rich tapestry to be able to dive in and, and, and explore and learn things about. And which is, again, you know, I know we've mentioned this before, but that's one of those biggest reasons I always rejected this theory that, oh, you got to keep it simple and you got to restart it every couple of years for the newbies. It's like, no, I was a newbie once and I loved this idea that there was all this history that I didn't know anything about and I could I could explore it on my own and mm -hmm. all that. So, yeah. And of course, you know, things like reprint titles really helped with that. I, I have a fondness for the reprint books. I, I actually have quite a lot of the Marvel ones. 
I've developed more of a fondness over time. Like originally, they were more just useful for exactly the purposes we just talked about, and now they've just become. I don't know. There's a certain amount of nostalgia that comes to them that I like I, them yeah. more than I used to, especially yeah. the ones where they did a new cover. Right. Some of the new covers are better than the original covers too. I can think of one particular issue of oh, what was it? I guess the reprint title was Marvel Superheroes, and it was repre- reprinting the old uh, Tales Hulk. to Astonish yeah. stories. And I can think of one in particular where they had Jim Starlin do the cover, mm-hmm. and I just thought it was like a great one. And then there was another one. You know how like they would the house ad would print the cover to the other book. Like, you know, you'd have a full-page ad, and about two-thirds of that page would be taken up with a, a, a copy of the cover of another book that was on sale. That right, month. right, yeah. And I just mm-hmm. remember one issue of Marvel Superheroes when I first started collecting, and it was the Hulk coming towards the leader, and the leader was shooting him, and it was a new cover on Marvel Superheroes. And it just see, it seems almost strange to me, looking back on it, that your house ad would highlight a reprint book. right. You know, if anything, you'd think you'd highlight the new material that you're coming out with and just hope that people would pick up the reprint book. But for whatever reason, they, they did the reprint book. And that cover, you know, I saw it so many times. It was like, oh, I got to get this. <laughs> you know, it, it became one of those white whales that, that was out there and I had to find it somehow. It has to speak a lot towards the popularity of Marvel at that time. That so much of what they were putting out on the stands was actually reprints of you know their older material because there were a lot of them at, at one you know at one time you had you know Spider-Man, Captain America, uh Hulk, Fantastic Four, and Fantastic Four all having reprint books as well as their regular books. And that's that's pretty wild to think about. And it's funny because you know again I I've collected a lot of those books not only have uh, uh have a lot of those books actually become quite valuable over the years and again which is always a strange thing to think of a reprint book having some value to it some of those reprints are arguably worth more money than the material that they're you know the originals that they're reprinted from depending on condition and things like that so that it's just that's just wild to me well for me i've never really gotten i didn't really i don't have a lot of the reprint books with the exception that I liked when they came out with um, the X-Men classic and the Avengers classics. Where right. They reprinted the books and added a couple panels here and there to it just it just expand some of the stories a little bit and have different pinups. And, uh, and obviously they all had di- different covers. And I know, I believe, I want to say Arthur Adams did a lot of the Avengers classic covers, if not all of them. Because um, there mm-hmm. was only, I think, 12 issues of that series. Which yeah. I've got all of them except I think for number twelve. It's one of the ones. He did on. the first few on uh, on classic X Men too, or X. I, I think I think you're right. Was it yes. classic X Men or X Men classic when it started? Uh, I think I it was classic X Men, and then it became X Men classic. I think because they wanted to put the X first in the title, mm-hmm. but I think originally it was classic X Men. Yeah, I, I have a the uh, I, I think. I either have the whole run or the whole burn run. Because classic X Men that went that went like fifty, sixty some odd title or issues, at least yeah, maybe even more. Yeah, yeah, it went for quite a while. The only problem with that though is that while I really like that you got bonus material, you know, they gave you the um, the John Bolton 
stories, mm-hmm. you know, as extras and everything. As a first-time reader of that material, I didn't realize that those stories were new, that this was new material. I thought you were getting a reprint book. So if I'd realized that, I don't know that I would have read those stories because uh, those stories actually spoil significant parts of the uh, Claremont Burn run because the whole thing with Phoenix was completely spoiled for me. I think that's one of the reasons that I was never terribly bothered by the whole... Um, return of of Jean Grey thing and you know in in Fantastic Four and Avengers because I knew from reading classic X Men that it wasn't really her because in classic mm. X Men again one of the the John Bolton stories revealed the the whole thing about you know Phoenix coming to Jean Grey and being like okay so I can cocoon you and take your body and blah 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 and the whole thing that happened with that so I knew right out of the shoot that she didn't really die. But anybody who had read that originally, they didn't know. And so they had this this attachment to that whole storyline and everything. And so she got storyline, but it didn't bother me. I don't know. You know, I, I think people get just too worked up over this stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I read that the, the Phoenix saga as it was coming out. I, I, I knew at the time it was epic. And yet when they decided to revive Jean Grey, it was like, oh, cool. The shoe's back. <laughs> you know, it didn't bother me any. Look who's right. back. Back again. So I don't, I don't know. I, I think you know people. It's it's nice that people get in, so invested in things, but you know, I think sometimes they need to take a step back and not worry so much. <laughs> I can't do that. They're funny books. We read them for fun. <laughs> well, anyway, back to Marvel Tales One Hundred. We ready to grade this sucker then? Okay. What do you What do you give the cover? Well, yeah, that's the funny. I would thing, say the cover like, wouldn't come into it. Yeah, the yeah, cover. No, I agree. That's why I asked. I, I love the cover. The cover is great, but the cover, of course, is, you know, it's, uh, I'm going to guess this is John Romita's Spider-Man. That's what it looks like to me. It's kind of a reimagining of Spider-Man 100. Yeah. And so it's Spider-Man. It has nothing to do with the story. So I'm going to leave the, the, the cover out of it, although I think it is a really cool cover. So going strictly just on the story art and the story itself. Story art, straight up A+. Which I know we're supposed to be stingy with and everything, but I find absolutely zero faults with the artwork in this. Um, I think, as I said before, I think Mike Nasser is a hell of a comics artist. Man, I wish he had done more stuff. Uh, I have seldom ever seen anything by him that I have not absolutely loved, uh, you know, from his work back then. Um, sadly, when he came back to comics, I was so excited when he came back. And I want to say this was in. I say this was in the mid to late nineties, but he had just changed, you know, which I mean, people do people age and especially artists, they change their styles and everything, but I just didn't like his new style as much. It wasn't as clean and defined and it just, I don't know. It it was too different from this. This to me is just like perfect. This is quintessential comics art right here. Uh, I love it. And, uh, and I love Terry Austin. He's one of my absolute favorite inkers. And uh, these guys just, they look phenomenal together. The the work is just beautiful. So absolutely no qualms with the artwork whatsoever. Um, the story, eh, I mean, you know, it's six pages. You know, what what can you say? It's it's perfectly serviceable. It's just a, it's a fun little meaningless story. So, um, I mean, I don't find any faults with it. It's not really long enough to really 
stand out as spectacular or find fault with. So it's kind of just there. Um, so I, I guess, yeah, I'll try to be fair. I'm just going to say, uh, I'll, I'll say a, a, I'll say an A on the story. There's nothing wrong with it. It just, you know, it's just kind of there. So there you go. A plus R and A in the story. That's my grade. I thought you were giving a horse grade there. <laughs> Scott, how, what, what, what is your grade in horse uh, speak? Stomp your foot. Yeah. <laughs> it's an A. It's a four. Ah, uh, well, uh, I don't. Well, I, I guess uh, I don't. I don't know if I'd give the story an A. I mean, for I mean, it's a nice little short story. I I agree with the art. Yeah, I'll I'll give the art an A plus. But I don't know if I really give the story an A. I mean, it, it's it's kind of average. So for me, I'd kind of have to give the story a C. Okay. Which would make the book a, which would make the story a B overall. What say you, Trigger? Oh, F's all around. <laughs> Prick. Um, I like the artwork a lot. I think it's very cool. I, I'm not really too in tune with Mike Nasser. I don't really know much that I've seen from him, but I do really like what I see here. And I think uh, I can't really comment on his other stuff, but at least on this, it looks like Terry Austin compliments him very well. Oh, yeah. I do see some slight flaws, and I'm talking slight here. Uh, second page of the story, I think Daredevil's leg looks a little wonky, and it also looks like it wouldn't have the force to knock Kilgrave down the way he is in there. Little things like that. I mean, it's not, again, it's nitpicky, but I think that keeps me from giving it an A+, and just gives it just a regular A. Uh, Story-wise, I think if you're saying it's a six-page story, I think this is probably above average for six pages so i'm going to give it a little better than a than a c like bill i don't know that it's quite an a because it's kind of inconsequential uh i do really like the end did it really happen thing i thought that's kind of cool because it just makes you wonder and it can mean the whole story you know the fact that it's inconsequential is almost by design of Kilgrave, which i think is just kind of a cool twist on it so i'm going to say a b on the story because I, I think it's pretty solid so overall i'd give it a b plus averaging out the a and the b or an A minus, depending on how you want to look. I at just it. realized if if Hawkeye and Two Gun are on the crest of that hill watching the the sunset, and they're asking themselves, "Is it real or a dream?" Shouldn't they kiss before they wake up? Ew. Oh, I'm thinking of Total Recall, but yeah. <laughs> they give those horses air. They kiss the horses. <laughs> So so I'm, glad you, I'm glad you guys liked it. <laughs> yeah, so you with the body trigger. This was a good one. You know, the only thing that would be funny is if they were riding off to the sunset and little Ernie Chan was on the back of one of the horses. <laughs> Come on, hurry. Or, or you remember, remember in, uh, what was it, in Live and Let Die? No, not in Live and Let Die. Uh, the Man with the Golden, uh, gun. the Golden Gun. And then at the end, Hervey, Hervey Villashev is kind of hitchhiking along. Well, not hitchhiking. Hitching he was a stuffed ride. In a, and he was stuffed in a suitcase and strung up on the mast of the ship. Yeah, maybe maybe little Ernie Chan could, could repeat that. He's in a steamer <laughs> trunk on the back of the horse. Let me out. Come on. Wait, now I'm Arnold. Little Arnold, come on. Let me out of the trunk. Little Arnold her, hangs out with little Ernie Chan. <laughs> come on, Ernie. Let's go. So let's go on to our DC because we spent, for a six-page story, we had a lot to talk about. <laughs> I knew that that was going to happen. We might have to skip the indie because I'm old and tired. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Let's Let's do this one. 
Uh, I went with the first ever appearance of the characters of Hawk and Dove. And I will openly admit, while I am somewhat familiar with who they are, I've read precious little that they've been in. So. I got to say, I was so proud of myself for this story because it doesn't tell you who drew it in the story. You were I'm able to figure it out? Yes. Wow. I was like, I'm like, I think this is Steve Ditko. Just by the judge pointing at the guy on like the third page in, I'm like, you know, I really think that's Steve Ditko. Then I looked it up with Mike's Amazing. I'm like, yes, it was Steve Ditko. I am awesome. Who is the inker, though? Steve Ditko. Is it really? Yes. It's Ditko doing Ditko, huh? Yep. Ditko on Ditko. So their first appearance was in Showcase number 75 from June of 1968. The cover price was 12 cents. Now the cover is a tad busy. It's got Hawk on one side, Dove on the other, and in between them there are drawings of a real Hawk and a real Dove. And it says, in this world, those who seek justice often walk different paths. The tough and the tame, the challenge, challenger and the challenged. This is our tale, a tale of two brothers, the hawk and the dove. And then at the very bottom, you see them both in their civilian identities. So it's really a lot going on in this cover. The story is written by Steve Skeets and drawn by Steve Dillon and edited by Dick Giordano. Steve Dillon? Steve, Steve Ditko, excuse me. I don't like Steve Dillon. Wow, what a faux pas that was. Or a fuck's paw, depending on how you want to pronounce Bow it. Bow pass. <laughs> give the, I'm sorry, give those credits one more time. The story is written by Steven Skeets. And Steven pen- Skeets, that's what I thought you said. Penciled okay. by Steve Ditko, edited by Dick Giordano. So the story opens up. We don't have a splash page to open up. We have a three-panel page where there's two separate uh, rallies going on. On, on the right side, there's peop- there's a peace rally. They're holding signs that say, Peace, pull out, which is interesting. Stop <laughs> on the Your mom should have pulled out. Oh, I'm sorry. On the left side, we have our pro-violence people who have keep up the bombing, no let up, might is right, and fight to win on their, po- on their signs. And in so between the, them... So all- the no let up and the pull out would cancel each other out, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what I thought. So in, in the middle, we have the Hall brothers... And they're debating because one of them is totally for the peace and one of them is totally for the violent methods of resolving things. And they're, they're debating it while everybody's just hanging out on both sides of them. But eventually it breaks into violence and, and the two groups start fighting and the police break it up. Then we cut to the courthouse that's in between the high school and the college where the judge, who happens to be our two protagonists' father, is sentencing a mob figure to the maximum sentence, and he's swearing vengeance. The two boys come in to see their dad, and he tells them that they both just kind of give the party lines, but neither of them actually knows what they're arguing about and that they need to grow up. While they're having this discussion, another mobster throws... They call it a bomb, but it looks kind of like a hand grenade into the room with them. No, 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 no. That's one of those silly putty eggs. I had one of those when yeah, I was a kid. It could be that, too. The dad kind of pushes his two sons aside and shields them, and he's injured in the blast. Uh, as the, uh, the the violent son <laughs> goes to get the doctor, he sees the mobster who threw the grenade running away, but he doesn't have time to do anything about it because he's got to get the doctor. Dad's taken to the hospital, and... They, uh, you know, he's going to be fine because everybody survives grenades exploding. <laughs> Grenade! So then as they 
the two boys decide to go to more of their peace and violence rallies. Uh, Hank, who's the violent one, sees the mobster who threw the grenade and they decide to follow him. They follow him to some lair where they get locked in a room like two idiots. And then they start banging on the door, which has, has other mobsters saying, what the hell is that? Let's go investigate. But the door is jammed, and they just figure no one's in there, and that they probably heard a noise outside. They, the mobsters leave, and they basically say that they've paid off the clientele at the uh, hospital, or the personnel at the hospital, rather, to let them in so that they can kill the judge. So the two of them realize they got to get out of this room pretty quickly. Then, as if this happens all the time, some disembodied voice comes to them and says power you wish power then so be it who or where i am is not for you to know only this shall i tell you i have been chosen you have been chosen i have heard your wish and it shall be granted you both shall have powers if this is what you seek what powers do you wish yeah see i hear ernie chan is saying these words i could see that yeah so they they're basically given the power to resolve this situation and they're told that as long as there's injustice, they can have their powers. But when there's nothing going on, they won't have their powers. And that they, they won't be able to use them for personal gain. So the two of them head off. They, they're they're easy, easily able to break out of this room now. And they head to the hospital. Once they get to the hospital, or actually they, they have to swim to get to the hospital quickly, which is just a little weird. And <laughs> they finally get there. They climb up. They get to the room. And get there just in time to stop them, stop the bad guys from killing their father, although they did have time to kill the guard who was protecting him. So not all the injustice is solved, just the injustice they care about. Right. <laughs> Hawk, you know, kind of beats the crap out of the guys while Dove is trying to win in a nonviolent way, which is tough to do in a fight, and he gets thrown out a window. So he comes back in, and he stops the main, main gangster from shooting his dad uh, he holds him back while hawk punches him out the two of them tell the judge you know that they're there to rescue him but they don't reveal their identities and when they go up to see their dad afterwards he tells them that you know these two guys are vigilantes and there shouldn't be vigilantes out there because he doesn't appreciate people who saves his life and uh then the two of them decide they're not gonna or at least dove decides he's not gonna do this anymore which is followed by the book telling us that the first issue of their own magazine is coming out next month so i guess they will do it some more so this this was the first time i uh i ever read this particular story and it's like i had said one of the few hawk and dub stories i've ever read and kind of cool kind of a steve ditko-ish thing i i like the fact that the violent end of it which is the one you think they'd be totally decrying although it's shown to be a little irrational they are showing that sometimes that's the only uh the only recourse they have mm-hmm. so it's not you know it's kind of showing it in a fair way as far as i'm concerned and i kind of like that i think ditko might have been better served by having somebody else ink his work but then yeah. again to be honest with you when i've seen ditko's work inked by other people a lot of times they seem a little afraid to to shore it up and then it becomes even more simplistic so i i don't know if it would have been better or not i can't really tell but overall i like this what do you boys think I was actually surprised by how much I liked it because I am familiar with these characters, although strangely, uh, much like you, Paul, I I haven't really read a hell of a lot of them either, at least not like in their own adventures. I I just have exposure to them in other stories, like where they were teaming up with other characters or appearing in larger storylines or something like that. 
Um, probably my biggest familiarity with these guys, or at least one of my earliest ones, would have been um, the fact that they were um, players like everybody was in Crisis on Infinite Earths. And spoiler alert, Don dies there. Uh, Dove yeah, that, that's is killed where I for, in the Crisis. That, that's where I for first remember um, encountering these two characters. And I want to say later they were in some Teen Titans as well. Also, Hank was was supposed to be the big bad in Zero Hour. I think it was Zero Hour. No, he, it was... Um, um, oh, it was Captain oh, Adam. God, what was the name of that? No, they changed it. Was it. Cap- yeah, oh, they, that's they right. changed it at the last minute. It, it wasn't was Zero Hour. Right? It, it was um, Armageddon 2001. Okay. And the whole thing was set up. Um, and if you read the story, it's very obvious that originally it was supposed to be the big bad, and I'm struggling to remember what the character's name was. It was something like the Overlord or something like that. I forget now. Um, and he was going to be revealed. The, the whole premise with that storyline is that Wave Rider had come back from the future. Uh, Ten years, I think it was, in the future. And had come back to discover which of the DC Universe superheroes goes bad and becomes this villain of his time who was like absolute master and stop him from essentially falling to the dark side. And again, all the clues are there that it's going to be who they were intending it to be, who was Captain Adam. And then, uh, and you have to remember, this was pre-internet days, that somehow the story got out, the story broke, it was leaked or whatever. And so fandom knew who it was going to be, or at least you know a sizable portion of it did, and were anticipating it. And so DC switched gears, or you know changed the whole thing, you know right in the middle, and instead made it Hank Hall. And I've never known exactly how to feel about that because on the one hand, I I wish that they had just stuck to their original plan. I think maybe the story would play a little bit better. However. I really like Captain Adam and didn't like the idea of him turning evil. Plus, somehow, strangely, I don't know if they just, you know, threw darts at a, at a wall of pictures or how they chose it, but actually Hank Hall fits for the choice of the hero to go bad. Because for one, let's face it, he was kind of a lesser character that not a lot of people really knew or cared too much about. But also, I like the idea, and I don't know that this was ever in any story or if this was just my own interpretation, but I always kind of believed that because they were kind of um, balancing for- forces, you know, you had, uh, you had you know, the aggressive guy on one side and you had the pussy pacifist on the other side, and they kind of balanced each other out. I think when Don died, there was no longer any balance. And I think more and more, Hawk became even more uh, of a hawk than he was. If you know what I mean, he became more aggressive because there's nothing to hold him back now. There was no counterbalance for him. And so him maybe turning to the dark side actually was kind of a, a natural path for him to take because he didn't he didn't have his brother's balancing influence, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, so I actually kind of like the enemy that. within. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's my main familiarity with the characters. I... I there was something tickling my brain while I was reading this, and it was the sequence where the the mysterious voice comes in, the voice that grants them their powers. Now, for one thing, those panels right there, uh, I'm sure it's just coincidence, but the voice, the disembodied voice, really it's, strong. Wait, 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 wait. It, is it, does it seem like 
the Spectre? Well, it actually reminded me a lot of Ramakrishna from the Dead Man stories. Mm. The, the the spirit or God or whatever she was supposed to be that had resurrected Boston Brand when he died so that he could be Dead Man and go on his missions. The the lettering and everything is very similar to that. And just the green and all that really strongly reminded oh. me of that. But as I was reading the story, I um, was trying to remember my Hawk and Dove history is that were these guys later revealed to be Lords of Order? And I can't remember if that's them or if that's a later incarnation of Hawk and Dove. I really can't remember. Do you guys know? Because no, I, I, I want to say that that's eventually revealed, that that's where they're getting their powers from, that they're actually Lords of... Maybe one is Lord of Order and the other was Lord of Chaos or something, and that's how they balance it. I don't know. It just that was tickling my brain, but I couldn't quite remember. I, I actually was kind of sad with the uh, disembodied voice because it kept reminding me of Sean's Just One of the Guys commercial. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of made me a little melancholy when I was reading it. But, but it also brought a smile to my face just the same. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I thought it was, a you know, keeping in mind this is 1968 and it's not, right. you know, it's not a, a, a modern story. I thought it was told pretty well. And again, like I said, I thought... I'm thinking Ditko was probably the plotter and Skeets just came in and, you know, wrote the actual dialogue. Right. So I'm, I'm giving Ditko most of the credit here for the story as well as the art. And I think he did a good job of presenting a balanced argument between peaceful solutions and violent solutions, which is something uh, you can't say about many writers because most writers, they just kind of choose a side and run with it. And then they say they're presenting it fairly. Like, and, and then civil war is what comes to mind for me. Right. In this instance, I think he he truly portrayed the you know the conflict between the two theories. And yeah, they're a little over the top and a little bit of a caricature, but I don't think you know that they were presented unfairly. It's one of the things like on All in the Family. I always thought you know that the writers on that show were liberal, even though they were writing about a bigot. So they would always present the liberal point of view as being one hundred percent correct, and they would never give Archie any real traction in his arguments. It was always, it was always that he was being stupid. Mm. And I always thought, no, but sometimes his arguments could make sense if they had somebody who could actually articulate a reason for it. Well, not to get political, but that viewpoint persists to this very day. <laughs> All you have to do is turn on the evening news. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't want to make this into liberal versus conservative. Right. My, right. my point really is, and any, anybody who's going to you know, get offended by my saying that, please let it go. I'm not trying to insult <laughs> anybody. What I'm saying is, if you're going to present two points of view, it's really not fair if you present it from the, I'm going to give you two points of view, and I'm going to give you the one that I believe in as being 100% right, and the side that's against me, I'm going to present them as being a buffoon. You're not really being fair in your presentation then. You know, right. you, you're not presenting both sides and don't pretend that you are. And that's that's the thing, you know, that, that bothered me in Civil War. And I think that's one of the things that's actually done well here. Then they're, they're saying, you know, if, you're, if your answer is always violence, you know, you're going to have anarchy and it's wrong. And they're also saying if your answer is always going to be peace, they're going to walk all over you. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? They're, they're giving you both sides of it and saying neither one is 100% right and neither one is 100% wrong. And I, I kind of like that. And I thought that gives it some resonance, especially in 1968, when they weren't necessarily hitting on themes like that all that hard. So it's one of the things that, that made this book, you know, sit very well with me. It is uh, interesting, though, that later on, 
this would be this, you know, Steve Ditko would be the same creator that would come along with what was that character's name? Mr. A, the guy that believed that, you know, there was white and there was black and there was nothing in between, you know, that everything was an absolute one way or the other, right or wrong, white or black. So that's so very interesting that here, you know, he's, uh, he is trying to show that there's a balance or there is a middle ground. That's, I, I don't know, it's just an interesting observation, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, to answer your original question, I, I liked this. I liked it a lot more than I expected that I would because I, I was familiar with the characters and not, I was going to say not particularly fond of them. That's not really true. I like Hawk, although I, I've always thought his outfit just needed tweaking somehow. It's not horrible like Dove's is, but it's still kind of weird with that goofy, I don't know what those feather things that are supposed to be, you know, it's like a pseudo cape, but not really a cape or whatever it is. But I make no bones about it. I hate Dove. And this story didn't shore him up for me at all. He's just such a pussy through the whole thing. I wanted to smack him. And it doesn't help at all that he he really strongly reminds me through this entire story of Johnny Thunder of the JSA, who's another friggin' character I can't stand. So, yeah, I really wanted to see him get smacked. The funniest thing of all to me, and I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but I couldn't help but notice it. And when I did, it just cracked me up. And I actually went back and read the story again just to make sure I wasn't imagining it. Dove seemingly gets absolutely no benefit from the the thing, the force or whatever, that gives them their powers. Hawk gets all charged up, and he rambos into situations. He busts the door down. He... Uh, you know, he roughs up all the guys, you know, he takes, I mean, he essentially takes out all the bad guys himself. He gets like superpowers out of this deal. What the hell does Dove get? Dove doesn't get shit. And when he gets knocked out the window, I thought that would be the moment where it was revealed. Oh, his, the thing he got was flight because he, he kind of looks like a bird anyway. You know, he's got the wings and everything. So that panel or excuse me, that page 19 where, you know, the last panel is him falling out the window seemingly to his death. I thought, ah, here's the reveal. He can fly. Nope, he can't. Oh, he's got to hang so, on to that flagpole for yeah. real life. So what did he get out of the but deal? I guess, but I, I think, you know, when they were racing over there, I think he was able to climb faster. He was able to swim better. So he did, I, you know, I guess he got increased strength and stamina and whatever. He just chooses not to use it because he's a wuss. Yeah, he is a complete wuss. And you know, the other think... thing just to mention that I really liked was, you know, with that counterbalancing that I was talking about, was that the father just basically takes them and clunks their heads together and says, neither of you knows what you're talking about. Right. You don't have life experience to, to really, you know, do anything except for give rhetoric that you've heard. Right. And I, I like that, too, because the, there's a lot of reality to that to, to everyone. Yeah. I'm not even, you know, I'm not going to even limit it to one side or the other. You, you hear so many people just giving you the, the you know, the, the argument points that they read, especially nowadays with the internet, with the memes and all of this shit. Right. You know, that, that people are just giving talking points instead of actually making cogent arguments. And, and you know, yeah. it, it's even more meaningful today than it was then. The dad, uh, the dad in that little lecture he gives to them really says some some brilliant things where he's basically telling them, you know, part of your argument's right, part of your argument's right. But ultimately, instead of having a well thought out, well researched 
argument and a, and a foot to stand on. You're really just coming at this from an emotional standpoint. And when you do that, you don't really have an argument. And, you know, and then there's another point where, you know, the boys aren't really hearing him at all. They're continuing to argue. And Don really, you know, Dove really thinks that he's the correct one. He keeps pointing out how his brother's just a hothead. And I love there's a moment where the dad says, you're wrong, Don. Sometimes force is necessary. So he's trying to show them that essentially they're both right. However, their approach, you know, in their approaches, they're both wrong. And I liked that. I, I really thought that, you know, there was there was an underlying message to this whole thing. And uh, and I thought that was really cool. I can't help but notice. I just realized this bottom panel of page four. It doesn't look so much like that hand is throwing the grenade into the room, but that it's just come out of the father's butt. <laughs> it looks he just laid a red egg right there, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I really did like this. Um, I even like the art, although the, I, I think the coloring um, is a little too bright. Doesn't really help it. And I will agree that I don't think Ditko inking Ditko is the most visually appealing thing in the world. But I will say that this is, to my memory, the first time I've seen Ditko doing something that's not Spider-Man that I looked at and said, hey, you know, this isn't bad. Because typically I don't like Ditko except for Spider-Man. Um, and this wasn't too bad. Um, but at the same rate, it's, you know, he's not too far afield from Spider-Man either. He's not really doing anything too different from spider-man and as a matter of fact there's a lot of this book where i thought hank actually just looks like pissed off peter parker is really what he looks like so sometimes but. like a cross between peter parker and flash thompson yeah <laughs> yeah you're uh, oddly silent dr bill oh no no no. what do you think um, of it i was just giggling at the uh egg out the butt <laughs> so. Uh, right, so that's what dr bill thinks <laughs> No, I'm just a little tired tonight too. So of course I'm always tired, but uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, like I said earlier, I was uh, surprised that I, I mean, I guess it's not too hard to pick out Ditko once you've seen enough of them. But uh, but the but the big thing was was the way the dad looked. But he kept he keep he looks like a, another character. I don't know if it's just reminiscent of one of his Marvel characters or I don't know. I just can't think of where I've seen that's. I mean, I guess it's a pretty. <coughs> basic character the, captain you know, stacy maybe yeah maybe that's what i'm thinking i don't think captain stacy was introduced in the ditko era i think he oh came yeah now that you say that yeah mm. i think you're right i don't know so i'm, I'm trying to think myself of, of who he specifically looks like and i'm i'm kind of at a loss i'm not sure maybe a, a little bit of a i'm looking specifically like, J. Joe, like like if you change the hair and put a mustache on him he'd be j jonah jameson maybe, maybe a little bit of that that third, or excuse me, the fourth panel, the next to last panel, page four again, going back to the egg laying page, <laughs> that where he's kind of standing over the boys and he's saying, you've got to learn, the only way to solve problems is through logic. He looks like a cross between Uncle Ben and Doc Ock in the face right there. Oh, yeah, maybe it's Uncle Ben. You know what's interesting to me, just uh, from an art point of view, is on page six, uh, now these are supposed to be college-age kids, or I think one is college and one is high school. Right. The mom is like a full head taller than both of them. You don't see that too often. By the time kid, by the time boys are in high school, they they're usually taller than their mom. Well, the one kid is next to him. The other one's behind. Uh, yeah, uh, Hank, Hank, Hank is behind. Hank. Dawn is next to her. 
And She's an Amazon. You, you, you know it's Don because he has a little D on his sweater. <laughs> I thought that was for dumbass. Duh. <laughs> my name. My name is Duh. On. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that, but you're right. By making mom so tall, they look like they're like 11. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. What kind of a mobster wears a turtleneck like that either? Oh, are you kidding me? That was that was the rage in 1968. <laughs> okay, I guess. Yeah, okay. Well, look on page six. It looks like he's sweating up a storm because he's Yeah, exactly. He's going to have a friggin' heart attack. Oh, my God. He just it's ran August. down 12 flights of stairs wearing that, that goofy-looking plaid outfit and a turtleneck up to his nose. Jesus, and it's, and it's, oh, my God, it's made out of polyester. And, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm dying over here. That one guy holding the uh, the head of the of the gurney, they're putting Dad into the ambulance. He looks like Frankenstein. I just noticed that. <laughs> I just have a rather high forehead. <laughs> Put some bolts in his neck. He's good to go. <laughs> no, no, fire is good. Fire is our friend. What an ambulance! Well, I will just tease that. Uh, Along with the characters that are on one of the advertisements, I really love this really very 60s. Angel um, and the Ape. Yeah, the Angel and the Ape. That you knew exactly intrigued. where I was going. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, along with Angel and the Ape and Hawk and Dove, we will see these characters again soon. Probably not next episode. Probably not even the next episode beyond that. But at some time in the future, we will be seeing these characters again. That's, that's I will just—I will tease. Yes, I know which book. Bill knows which book, but everyone else, sorry. There's a lot of good ads in here. Did you know who they were talking about in the? I'm trying to find it here. The, uh, here it is, page 16. The bottom half of that page is a Western ad. It said, "Will our new Western hero save the West?" I'm or assuming ruin it's not it? Jonah Hex, because Jonah Hex didn't he come around in '71? Thereabouts, yeah. So. Hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know. I just kept going to the next page. The guy looks like a. Uh, he doesn't look like a. Uh, is this character even human? I know that's the thing. He looks like. It looks uh, like a vampire or something. Yeah, he like, does. He looks because like because it looks like, like, like a troll or vampire or something. He looks like a Western Nosferatu with those eyes and like those could either be his hat or ears sticking out under his hat. And I'll be honest know. with you that. Uh, even though I know that Jonah Hex doesn't come along for quite some time after this, the very first advertisement, and it's not this one, but the very first advertisement, or technically the very first appearance of Jonah Hex is in an ad, and he doesn't look anything like the finished you know, character that appears for the first time in comics. Is this supposed but to be he, him? He looks a lot like this. So when I saw this ad, I thought, is that Jonah? But it's not. You're never going to believe who it actually is. It's Bat Lash. Really? Who mm. looks nothing like that. Bat Lash is tall, skinny, kind of a, um, what did they call them back then? A um, dandy, you know? Mm. Yeah, he's exactly. got, you know, got a very This, this guy looks hat. like he's, you know, he's been beaten up and, you know, he's messy. Man, like he almost looks like a demon or something. Like a demon right. cowboy he's, he's or so, something. He's so in shadows that you can get away with him being anything. Right. Yeah. But he definitely he that is not Batlash's profile, even in, you know in the silhouette. That is not him. But that that's who it's supposed to be. Well, it's nice to see on one of the other ads that we've got Doctor Strange's pimping magic tricks. <laughs> Two hundred thirty-eight magic tricks revealed. Ooh, and what's that above there? I don't know. What is that? Hmm. What is this, Paul? I think it's Little Ernie Chan's Ed Ed time. <laughs> oh no. 
Defend yourself with Ketsugo. Ketsugo gives you all the combined arts of self-defense found in Judo, Atawaza, Akito, Yawarawara, Sabate, and Jujutsu. Your hands, feet, fingers, and penis in your entire body actually become a feared weapon when using this fantastic fighting technique. Learn fast and easy without the mumbo-jumbo. Explains, shows, teaches, and simplifies how to make any opponent a crying bitch, helpless regardless of size, strength, and it is heavily illustrated. Be unbeatable in the art of unarmed self-defense. Money back guarantee. Only 125. Postage paid by Ernie Chan. Ernie? Yeah? I was reading along with it as you were doing that. I'm I pretty, took some I'm, liberty with the ad. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it doesn't say penis anywhere in there. This was Where the, the hell is this that you're... I don't... Where is this? It's right at? above Doctor Strange. <laughs> I am not seeing that. Is that the inside back cover? No. It's between page 22 and 23, God. Now get your oh, head okay. out of your ass. I can't find it. <laughs> maybe if you... Oh, you know would, what? Maybe if you use a PDF... Ernie? You can find something. Ernie, you are officially oh, hired as my intern. <laughs> Damn, that really does look like Doctor Strange. That's hysterical. I'm going to steal that picture and I'm going to post it as... Uh, Doctor Strange. <laughs> as Doctor Strange. Just hard time Concept, concept Strange. art for the new movie, the upcoming movie. <laughs> Doctor Strange pulling Ernie Chan out of a hat. <laughs> Me, I'm now Ernie Rabbit. What Little... do you think? You, you, you want to rate this one? <laughs> yeah. All right. The cover, like I said, I think it's way, way, way too busy. I think there are ways of getting the message across. I mean, he gets the message across here of what he's trying to set up, but I just think it's in an unenticing way, and I think he could have gotten it across in a, you know, in, in a... If he was a little bit more creative with how he put it together, I think it would have been better. So I'm, I'm just gonna say a C on the cover. I, I maybe I should rank it lower, but I, you know, C is where I'm going. Well, you know, I didn't notice this, and I feel like a fool that I didn't notice it. But you, you noticed, and you commented that there is no opening splash page. I think the cover is an opening splash page, and I think that's the problem with the cover is that that looks more like an opening splash credits page than a cover yeah i agree with you i think if this was a splash page it would have been fine but as yeah. a cover i don't like it yeah so i'm gonna say a c and i think i'm being generous on a c i'm i'm not real happy with i like the way hawk looks on, on the cover but i'm not real happy with the way dove looks i know he's supposed to be a pacifist or you know but he just looks so girly man disinterested i wasn't gonna say girly man but just disinterested like his lower version well that didn't sound good the smaller the picture at the bottom <laughs> where he's in, not in costume looks more impressive than him in the costume. In the costume, he's just meh. He's a dandy. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. So the, the interior art, I don't think it's Ditko at his best, but I think he tells a story well. <laughs> wait, wait. The first page of the comic, doesn't it look like a, a small fist, like Ernie Chan's fist is coming out of Hank's like underneath his his armpit it's actually the guy behind him right with his arm stretched out but it's like he's got a third hand coming out of his jacket <laughs> and, and the second page when when they start fighting it, it lo actually looks like they're all dancing everybody was kung fu fighting i don't know I, one of I, my I, I like the dude at the top right on the on the page uh, give just, me your hand there's something about his face that makes me laugh it's like 
But David I, I, Letterman like I started to say, I, I think Ditko does a decent job of storytelling here. I think it comes across, you know, his message comes across. And while it's not Ditko at his best, I think it's still pretty decent Ditko. I think you probably would have been better served having somebody else ink it and just kind of clean it up a little, tighten it up a little. But I'm going to say a B- minus on the interior art. I don't think it's bad. Uh, the story, I think, is kind of cool. I like, you know, like I said, that it, it presents it balanced. Neither one is really right. Neither one is totally wrong. They both don't have a full understanding of their positions. Uh, the father, who's, you know, I guess the most wise of them, you know, even he's got his faults. And you know, he quickly just decries the two of them, even though they saved his life, which is just a little strange. But, uh, you know, the story, I think, is pretty solid. I'm going to say a B-plus on the story. And overall, I'm going to give the book a B. Hmm. Uh, cover, uh, yeah, um, the, the words, uh, you know, with, with the, the wor- words, words elude me often, but, um, I, I guess you're right. If this was a splash, it would be better, but it, it doesn't really take me too much out of it. So, and the art is pretty good on it too, except for Dove looking so disinterested in being on, on the cover. But that's just his character, I guess. Um, so I'm going to have to give it like a C plus. The interior art. I was so happy, like I said, that I knew this was Ditko. But, you know, I mean, he's pretty distinctive. Um, and aside from a few oddball things here and there. Uh, uh, well, who who would be a... When was this? This was 1968. And mm-hmm. at DC, who would have been a prominent inker that could have inked him at this time? Hmm. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, honestly. Yeah, I, I mm. couldn't either. Did Terry Vinnie Austin Coletta. ever ink ink any Steve Ditko? Who? Terry Austin. Did he ever ink any Steve Ditko? Not that I'm aware of. I think they, the overlap in their careers would be, you know, the, towards the end of Ditko's career and the beginning of. Terry yeah, I'm, 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 because I'm just wondering what that would look like. Like, how would that change? This I think, book? It, I think it would look fine, but I don't know if Austin ever inked Ditko, but Byrne did on mm-hmm. one of the last issues of Rom just before the end of the series. I want to say it was like issue like seventy four, mm-hmm. maybe something like that, and it actually looks pretty damn good. It's it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, e- even with that, I'm, I'm I think I would give the art. Uh, I'm going to give the art a B minus. And the story, I give the story a B as well. So I guess we're looking at a B book. Cool. It's cool. Um, the cover, I like, uh, you know, just like you said, I like the left-hand side. I think uh, both Hawk and Hank look really good. Uh, I like both of their poses. I like that Hawk looks like he's coming to kick your ass. I think that's a really good pose. And the... The, the face of his that you can see inside the mask has almost a painted quality to it. It looks really sharp. I like that. Um, I like the logo at the bottom for, for Hawk and Dove, you know, and the wording and, and pretty much everything on the very bottom and on that left-hand side. But everything in the middle, you know, the depiction of the actual birds and everything on the right with uh, Dove and Dawn, I just I don't like it. Well, actually, that's not fair. I, there's nothing wrong with Don art-wise. I just don't like his character. But Dove art-wise, I, I don't like. It's just, I, I think a lot of it has to do with his costume. I like in the story, we didn't mention it, but I like in the story that Dove actually hates his costume. And I thought that that was really cool, and I thought it was appropriate, because, yeah, it doesn't flatter him at all. He looks like a complete pansy. 
much more than he actually is. So yeah, it it didn't do anything for him, but accentuate the fact that he's a big old pussy. Um, so yeah, the cover, I don't know. I want to be fair to it because there are elements I really like, but uh, what did you say, Paul? A C? What'd you say? A C plus? Yeah. Yeah, I think C plus is probably fair for that. Maybe, maybe in a. I think I'm just gonna go with C. It, it's kind of middle of the road. I, I, I like it, but yeah, I'm not crazy about it. So I'm just gonna go C on that. Um, interior art. I, you know, self-professed. I'm not the biggest Ditko fan in the world. Again, love his Spider-Man. Don't really care for much beyond that. But this is some of the better Ditko I've seen. Um, I can make out what's going on. And some of it is actually above and beyond. There's some of it that's actually really nice, very dynamic and everything. And uh, I will give props any day to any book that right there on the very second page of the book, you see a dirty, filthy hippie getting the shit kicked out of him because that's (laughs) what you do to dirty, filthy hippies. So I thought that was awesome. So that that helps bump it up. So um, overall in the art, um, you know, it, it's not too bad. I think a lot of my problems with the art actually come from the coloring more than anything else. I think the coloring is just, it's too something. I don't know, flashy, bright, something. It just doesn't quite work for me. Uh, it's just kind of odd in the way that it's colored. So I'm going to say art-wise, I think I'm going to go a B- minus on the art. And story, I liked the story a lot more than I anticipated liking the story. Um, I thought that it was going to be very Silver Agey, goofy, weird silliness. Um, you know, similar to like The Creeper or something like that that I just can't quite get into. But this I actually rather enjoyed. Um, I think I'm going to go a straight up B on the story. I, I really, I, I liked it. I thought it was it was really cool. And I like that... You know, you get both sides of this thing with, you know, the the aggressive character and the pacifist character. So you have somebody potentially to root for either way. And uh, and I root for Hawk. So I, I like this. To me, this was Hawk's story. And I like that he came in and he kicked ass and he got things done in this story. So, yeah, from that angle, I really liked it. And I liked that, uh, that Don was pretty much useless in this story. So, yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it, it, it was fun. I got a kick out of it. And I'm kind of curious... Okay, now that this story is, is over, and I, I'm guessing you know the threat to Dad has been taken care of. What the hell other adventures? Where do you go from here? I guess I, I'll be honest. I'm not curious enough to go seek out the rest of the issues. But you know, if anybody knows, I, I'm just curious. You know, what? Where did they go? Did they have much of a life? Because I I don't think Cock and Dove proper ran very long, if I'm not mistaken. But I I don't know for sure. So. Anyway, oh, did we mention the uh, the text piece in here by um, by Dick Giordano? We had not. I thought this was really interesting. Um, you have a little headshot of Dick Giordano who looks nothing as I remember Dick Giordano looking, but of course, you know, it'd be like thirty years later when I would, dis- or twenty years later, I guess, when I would uh, discover him in comics. Uh, but there's a uh, a little text page here that says the court is in session, and then it, it's just it's him addressing us as the reader, which I don't remember DC doing very often with a specific real person like Stan Lee would do all the time over at Marvel. And it just says, "Hey friends," it says, "Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Dick Giordano, and I'm the new editor of this as well as uh, several other of your favorite DC Comics titles. Not to mention some brand new ones." Uh, still in the drawing board. I wish to take this opportunity to promise that the coming months will bring an exciting look, a new direction, a fresh, a fresh approach 
to the pages of this magazine. Our aim will be, of course, to please you, our readers. Your comments will always be welcome. Your ideas and thoughts greatly appreciated. Your constructive criticisms taken under consideration. So stay with us, gang. The best is yet to come. And I was just tickled and saddened by that at the same rate. And uh, a lot of it had to do with the fact that, sadly, Dick Giordano is no longer with us. But also that sentiment at DC Comics is no longer with us and hasn't been for a long-ass time. So that kind of made me a little bit uh, melancholy too, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I like I agree, the card, but we're going to be very quiet so that you feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> but what about the but what about the Billy cartoon? Just just underneath it, Billy's a little shit. <laughs> <laughs> should we should we do a reenactment of the cartoon? Absolutely, I will be Billy. <laughs> Shouldn't I be Billy? Oh, it's yeah, a okay. role can, I was born oh, to play. Yeah, you, were, you were born. Okay, <laughs> I will Who's be. Gonna, uh, I, well, Mr. actually, there's only two. Yeah, okay, there's two roles. Mr. Be... Wilson or whatever the hell yeah. this guy's name is here. All right, so Billy. So Billy, well, actually, Paul, we need a narrator. Yeah, Paul will be the narrator, and he'll read the panels. You'll be the old man, and I'll be the kid. I'll read the panels? Well, you'll describe the panels. Okay. Ready? Yes. Billy. Opening panel shows a man handing a package to a young, blonde-headed boy. Here's the caboose car, Billy. All gift wrap for you. Second panel shows the young blonde boy thinking. Hmm. Third panel is a silhouette of the young boy approaching a party where people are wearing party hats. Happy birthday, Tommy. I don't have a present for you. I owe you one. And the final panel shows Billy and the boy wearing the party hat. I bought one of you. I I bought you one of Aurora's postage stamp trains, but I liked it so much I decided to keep it for myself because I'm a douche. <laughs> <laughs> and so ends the adventures of Billy. Tune in with us next month for more douchebag adventures. <laughs> there needs to be one more panel in that story. It needs to be Tommy going, get an asshole, Billy, <laughs> and punching him in the face. <laughs> Where's my train, ass? I wonder if this is the same. What was the name of that kid from that, that bicycle siren ad? Was his name Billy as well? <laughs> Because I always like to imagine that that kid did he did eventually meet a gruesome fate. <laughs> we, we, we've got a lot of humor out of ads tonight. <laughs> I love the old ads and the little uh, cartoons well, having, and stuff. Having done two books, do we have time for a third book? Do we uh, have time I, for I, some re- listener mail? Or do we have to just sign out? Uh, well, we're at two hours. I brought a book. I want everybody to know I have a book. Not a good one. Here's the that's, here's the thing about the here's the thing about it. I appreciate that you did, but letting me know this fact like ten minutes before we were sitting down to record. No, it didn't was, help me no. at all. So we recorded at nine o'clock, uh-huh. and I picked the book at around seven thirty. That was what do you think I was half. doing at seven thirty? I don't care. One off. I was going to say I don't care, <laughs> and I don't want to know what you and the Dan Jurgens hand lotion were doing. Okay. Hey! Anyway, we're going to tell you, Bill took profit number one from Image Comics. So if you're so inclined, seek this out in the next week or so, because next time around, Bill is going to cover this book. Why would you give them some horrible life advice as that? Some some horrible life field advice? (laughs) (laughs) I said if you're so inclined. I'm not telling people they should. Should we do one or two emails just to keep up on the email train? I think we should. That'd be cool. The email. Mail time, mail time, mail. Ernie, cha- Ernie, sing the mail song for us. 
Oh, oh no. wait, little Ernie's sleeping. He's over there. No, I'm here. Mail time, mail time, mail time. Hit the mail, it never failed. Make my another mail. Thank you, Ernie. Wow. Uh, He's pretty quick. <laughs> well, when you're only three feet tall, you move you move quickly. Gotta move fast. He's like, yeah, wow. He, scary fast. Right. Well, the first email, because otherwise it's just going to go on all night. I know, because I can't stay first for first email is from Russell Bragg, and it's titled Booklessness. Hi, guys. Don't worry, Dr. Bill. I don't take the movie quote knowledge personally. In all likelihood, I could see a movie and really enjoy it and still not remember a quote. I used to be better at remembering such things. I remember in junior high, a friend and I would quote the entire Superman 2 movie. I think I'll have the fish. I don't know. I'll bet they're from Los Angeles. (laughs) So, most of the time, it's faulty memory that I don't know or remember a quote you are quoting. Sorry, neither of you had a book to bring, but I enjoyed the show. I always do. (laughs) Glad you're all caught up on email again. Don't worry, I'll fill it up again in due time. I do wish I had your overflowing email bag problems. On the DC Comics Presents show, only once did I have more than one email to read. Aww. And that was only because I was holding them not wanting wanting a two or three hour podcast. I think the one where Paul and Bill join me will be a long one. Guess that's all I got for this time around. Keep up the great episodes, and thank you once again for keeping me entertained. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the DC Comics Presents show. Soon to have 100% more Paul Spataro and Dr. Bill Robinson. Of course, when you're listening to this episode, that episode of DC Comics Presents show will have been out for several weeks already, since it's out already as we record this. Thank you, Russell. Thank you, as always. You got the next one, Scott? Yeah, I can take this one. Okay. This one is from Socrates S. Alvarez III in Miami, and he says, You guys forgot Deadpool. We were talking about new characters since Wolverine or Venom. Uh, he says, I don't think he's anti, uh, an anti-cable. Uh, I'm guessing that goes to Strife. And he's not anti-Wolverine. That goes to Sabretooth. But he is more popular than Venom and has had a longer series. I love the Joe Kelly run and a few appearances here and there. I don't know if Venom was created before or after Deadpool, though. I'm pretty sure well before. Mm. Uh, There might be a few more characters, but this pool is definitely shallow. By the way, I loved the MODOK ego intro. I did as well. He says, best regards. And again, that's from Socrates S. Alvarez. Uh, What do you think? You know, he, he makes a valid point. While I don't personally have a horse in this race i don't really like deadpool um i think with his current popularity you could definitely argue for that character yeah i think so i think we just overlooked him i think it's a fair fair argument that he is newer than the characters we were discussing and he is pretty original to himself so yeah i'll 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 accept that yeah good call yeah i guess strife would be the anti-cable because he was basically a cable clone if i remember correctly and we have another email from Isaac Miner titled Suicide Squad. Dear Binzers, I just saw Suicide Squad. DC nailed it, in my opinion. I know critics again didn't like it, but it wasn't made for them. It was made for us, the fans. I look forward to your coverage of the Suicide Squad comics. And fingers crossed, the movie too. Isaac in Michigan. Uh, none of the three of us have seen the movie yet as we record this. But as we record this... I plan to go with my kids to see it at the Discount Theater tomorrow. So hmm. at some point there will be a review probably on Is It Yours? I know that Scott McGregor just put one together that I'm pretty sure just got posted. 
Yes, it did. Yeah. Um, on the Two True Freaks um, website. So, you know, you can check it out there. I, I have no idea. I haven't listened to it. Um, so I don't know what the stance is on it, what the take is. I believe it's a round table. So hopefully, you know, it's, uh, you know, fair and balanced, so to speak. I, I really don't know. But, you know, again, just to let you know that there is one out there. Um, as far as us doing anything movie related, I think that score episode's pretty much it. So. I agree. And I'm, I haven't listened to their take on it yet because I do plan on doing some kind of review in all likelihood. And if I do, I'd rather it be my own opinions instead of listening to other people and then possibly echoing their thoughts. Right. So I will listen to theirs after I record mine. Cool. Well, you want me to I'm probably not going to see it. Uh, so, <clears throat> But you never know. I've been known to appear on movie reviews and never have seen the movie before. <laughs> <laughs> we've had bookless bill now we're gonna have movie list bill and we've had showless bill because we wow. did a listen to the profits that i didn't get to see but that was due to cable issues stupid cable stupid frontier <laughs> is that it or are we gonna try and read uh, I, I like this next one i'll do oh, this okay. next one if you like all right this next one is entitled no love for luke mcdonald's all I right, love McDonald's. Wasn't, hey. he the, wasn't he the governor's aide in Conquest of the Planet of the Apes? Oh, I thought you were talking about the uh, the fries. Oh, McDonald. I was thinking McDonald's. <laughs> Never mind. He says, hey, Bin Bunch. It says, really enjoyed your score Suicide Squad episode. Bin Give Bunch? A... Yeah, I'm not Bin sure. Bunch? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's a story of a man. <laughs> oh, <Bunch>. no. <laughs> no. The Bin Bunch. Da, 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 the Bin Bunch. Da, 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 da. Oh, sorry. That means we all have to date Carol Brady. Ugh. She's like 115 now. Maybe we could just date one of the daughters. Anyway, this missive goes on to say, you gave us a good gl- uh, good glimpse at different incarnations of the Suicide Squad in the hands of different creative teams. But what's up with the dislike of Luke McDonald's art? Of course, art is subjective, but come on. McDonald's stuff isn't that bad. I think it fit the uh, Suicide Squad quite nicely. I'm going to stop right there and say... I got nothing against the guy. And you know what? I really meant to look it up. One of you guys do me a favor and look up Luke McDonald on um, Mike's Amazing World and see, am I right in thinking that he was one of the in-betweeners on Iron Man between the two Bob Layton runs? Because I'm pretty sure he was. If, if I'm right, and he was, I like that stuff. But I just didn't like his stuff on Suicide Squad. I'm sorry. I tried. I wanted to like it, but I just didn't. Um, there aren't uh, these aren't the bright, happy heroes swooping in to save the day. These were the guys doing the secret, dirty work to keep the country safe. Reluctantly, in some cases, McDonald's style delivered characters that were all hard edges and angles, not prettied up role models on this team. Yeah, I you know, I'm down for all that, but you can still present it in a in a visually appealing way and I just don't feel like he did on that, but but you're right. I mean, art is subjective. All right, now which one? Well, I've got him up. I've got his thing up here on Mike's Meeting uh-huh. World. He did which Iron series? Man 165 through to like 175. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that is the run I'm thinking of. So that was the time when when Tony collapsed back into his alcoholism. He lost his company. Rhodey took over the armor. Rhodey. Was... You guys, it's Rudy. <sighs> yeah. So that is what I'm thinking. Of. So it's not the greatest art in the world, but I have kind of a soft spot because that was where I kind of discovered Iron Man. He did so... it. He did an issue of Star Wars. 
Marvel Star Wars number 78. Yes, he did, yeah. Hoth yeah. stuff. Yeah. What's yeah. happening, Hoth stuff? Hoth stuff, one of the, one of, if not the worst issue of the entire series, yeah. That's the one <laughs> oh, where that's Luke That's the faux returns, wedge. Yes. Right? He returns to Hoth to rescue Wedge that was left behind because Wedge is his boyhood um, best friend. And somebody clearly miss, got a <laughs> Biggs and Wedge mixed up because Luke and Wedge didn't know each other prior to the Battle of Yavin. Did you so, get the Wedge yeah. memo? I don't think so. Yeah, somebody messed up there somehow. Anyway, uh, let's see. Continuing, McDonald's work is best viewed as a whole package. If it's picked apart panel by panel or judged strictly on anatomy or how well he draws faces, then yes, the whole thing falls apart. McDonald constructed a visual reality where things looked the way they looked, and he was consistent in the depiction of that reality. I can even admit that when McDonald finally leaves the book around issue 24 or so, the, bu the book does look better under different artists, but it loses something in the way it feels. Hmm, interesting. I can see that. I mean, you know, love or hate any artist. I mean, if they're the ones that kind of kick the book off once they leave, yeah, it, it would change the feel of it. Um it's funny, I was just thinking about this in the context of Walking Dead the other day and how it feel, you know, it feels very different ever since the original artist, what was his name, Tony Moore, I think, was the original artist on that, when, once he left the art. Yeah, and he only did six issues. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, not very many at all. And, yeah, it's it's felt weird ever since to me. Wow, Luke McDonald's done a lot of the things that you have covered, Scott. He did Marvel yeah. Star Trek, yeah. uh, these three issues of that. He did... Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. Yeah. I, I don't hate the guy. I don't. I just don't like his work on that. That's with the love. So, there's no Luke, there's yeah. no Luke love. <laughs> uh, P.S. I sucked it up and went to see the Suicide Squad uh, movie on Saturday. I didn't go in expecting much, so wasn't as disappointed as I might have been otherwise. It wasn't my Suicide Squad, but there were some interesting moments character-wise, and Viola Davis nailed the Amanda Waller role. You can definitely feel the marveling of it. There's even a post-credit scene. I look forward to hearing what you guys think about it if, when, you view it. Take care, and this is from Eric Lamont. PPS, a bike is Aussie slang for a promiscuous woman. Shortened from the phrase, the town bike, everybody rides her. That makes sense. Okay, thank you. That clears that up. She's a dirty, dirty whore is what he's saying. So, yeah. Okay. See, I think they should have had, like, I think we might might have said that we should have had uh, the fridge from the 85 Bears playing Amanda Waller. Might have been a good, <laughs> a good choice. Is he still alive? I'm not sure. Of course, I've probably killed the poor man now by mentioning him. Wasn't in the he one of the Joes? the Joes? Wasn't the fridge one of the Joes? Oh yeah, they made him a yes. Yep, yeah. you are right. He was a Joe. Oh, what this else is we a, got? A, yeah, uh, it, it's a duplicate. This is a duplicate. Yeah, I was just no. saying. Did I actually? I'm like, still, didn't I'm I just... still alive? <sighs> put six bullets in him, and he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's... For Russell Bragg, that's from Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com. 
or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Here's another slug, Scarecrow. Blam!